You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, some of you have never seen me in a suit before. <laughs> I guess it could be called shock value. But then you really need to know that my wife dresses me. And for almost 56 years, she's been trying to civilize me. But uh, to just sort of tell you the truth, I found it on sale. What can I say? But don't worry, I still have this <laughs> Oh my, crazy little, little things people remember you by. I've had people actually walk by me when I wasn't wearing suspenders maybe and say, the voice is Gail Irwin, because they didn't recognize me without suspenders. What a delight, though, to see you folks again. I look forward to these times. Uh, someone said, welcome home, and I said, that's a good way to put it, because I feel like I'm home when I'm here standing in front of you and sharing wonderful fellowship. You're just so incredibly open and responsive to me, and so uh, I just want to remind you, maybe you've never seen this before, but maybe you have. <laughs> But we have them again out, and they're free at my table. Others, bumper stickers. Uh, a pastor on Long Island just asked for 160 of these, and we sent them to take to Uganda. Interesting. He's going to be speaking at a pastor's conference there. So if you haven't got that and the other free things I have out there, please go and take them. They're free because I really, 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 really want you to have them. You know, when the scripture informs us that there is this time, and we're part of it, where the way was to be made straight in the wilderness, the mountains would be diminished and the valleys would be exalted. Why was this true? What, what is it about that? Well, I am totally convinced that this is God's way of saying that there is a time when it'll be absolutely vital for the pathway to Jesus to be made so plain, so simple, that we not only cannot miss it, but we won't get lost on it. I, I travel all over, and, and I have been rescued by my GPS thing. It's a whole new thing for me, especially when I'm in the Northeast, you know, where they, somebody was drunk when they designed those, those streets and the like. But uh, it is extremely important that the way be made straight to the Lord. I have decided personally, this is just my quirkiness, that if you can't make it simple, it means you don't know it. It's the person who can write a nuclear physics book for children <laughs> that really knows his stuff, see. And I think that's true of our walk with the Lord. 
since he loves everybody, and especially since children seem to be, according to Jesus, the majority of the kingdom, it has to be simple. It has to be. Now, the thought occurred to me because uh, back in, oh, not quite a hundred years ago, a brilliant man came up with a formula that no one has improved on to this day. It was so simple, and yet it fueled the whole nuclear age and new understanding of gravity and its effects and so forth. And you recognize the person as Albert Einstein and the formula as E equal MC squared. Energy equal mass times the speed of light squared. Now, don't ask me anything more about it because that's all I know. <laughs> However, to the minds that could grasp that, it simplified things so much that no one has ever come up, as far as I know, with a simpler and more expressive formula. And I thought, you know, if that can be done for the physical world, Surely, surely, it can be done in the spiritual world. Surely there is just such a formula in Scripture that, shall we say, explains it all. And if you get this, you've got everything. Well, I found it. I take you to Matthew chapter 22. Now, I'm going to begin reading with verse 34, and I hope you will stick with me while I raise your blood pressure just a little bit, but then I will read it correctly afterward. <laughs> verse 34, Matthew 22. But when the Republicans heard that he had silenced the Democrats, <laughs> study it for yourself. Now I'll read it right. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, and by the way, uh, Jesus is called in Isaiah a wonderful counselor, which literally in our vernacular would be a wonderful lawyer. Now, we don't often use those two words together here in California or anywhere else that I know <laughs> But if you are a lawyer, and I, I, I do have some lawyer friends, and, and I think it's wonderful if you're a lawyer and you're here, if you're here to worship the Lord. Uh, I hope you are a wonderful lawyer. I ask my lawyer friends if they are, and, and they will look at me because they know where I got that from, and they'll say, well, I'm trying to be, you know. But one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question testing him. Now, that's kind of typical, isn't it? Not to seek out clarity for anything, but as a test. He wanted to trap him, saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? In other words, what is the biggie? Now, he knew the answer to this. This lawyer did. And how do I know he knew the answer? Because if he was what we would call a practicing Jew today, uh, they, they, you know, we're living in a world where Judaism or being an Israeli has many facets to it, and very few of them actually would be biblical uh, believers, if you might be pleased. But not very many people know that the majority of those who live in Israel 
actually don't believe there's a God. They call themselves secular, but they actually, because they don't want to call themselves atheists and the like. So there's a broad range of Judaism even to this day, even as there was back in Jesus' day. And through the scripture, we discover that God had a real struggle with this group of people that he had chosen. Yet, if you were a practicing Jew, every morning you and your family would say what amounts to a creed. They called it the Shema. Now, the word Shem means name, uh, and <laughs> I love, forgive me, but I just love this thought. You know, Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, Shem. Someone says, what's your name? Name. Don't get smart with me. What's your name? Name, I told you, you know. But they would say this great Shema, they called it. And here is simplified what it is. Hear, O Israel. I mean, the family would say this together. Our Lord is one. Or, or, the Lord is one. In other words, it was a, a new kind of concept for the world that God was one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And that was it. Every day. What a great thing. That's a good thing still to say. I would, I think, if I did this with my family today, and, and if you want to, I recommend that you do something like this. It's a great way to start your day. Other than, where's the coffee? Or where's my socks? You know, that, why does the toast burn? To say something like this, Lord, we recognize you as one. And we want you to know that we love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Make it a declaration. We love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So this lawyer knew it. And when Jesus then answered without question, no, no, even why are you trying to trap me, which he did in other places, because this was really the right kind of question. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. They knew that. That's the big one, the great commandment. That couldn't be missed. However, and I've talked to you about this in my prior times with you, Jesus then says, this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but... You ever wish he hadn't gone that far? <laughs> I love everybody, but if my neighbor lets his dogs out in my yard one more time, you know. Now, some people will, uh, will explain this this way. Well, how can I love my neighbor when I don't love myself? I don't love myself, you know. And I'll usually smoke them out by saying something like, oh, but you're so lovable. And they'll say, Really? What else have you noticed about me, you know? Because the fact that we get up and eat means we love ourselves, you know. It's a given, folks. Don't, you, you can't really argue that you don't love yourself. The fact that you argue over it means that you do. So to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the thing is, this was part of the law. Interesting. Leviticus 19, 18. They knew this. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. The problem was, we human beings, you know, it, it, I was just pondering this this morning. Uh, I don't know why, but uh, 
how divorce entered this world. Not because God wanted that, but he actually adjusted the rules because of the hardness of our hearts. Isn't that amazing? Hardness of our hearts. Well, anyway. The way they would deal with this, since we human beings are human beings, one of my favorite people in the world just has a simple saying. I, I saw it on T-shirts recently. It's a, he says, people are people, you know. And that is so true. And so here's what they would do, because they knew that they couldn't fulfill this, at least the way they were thinking. So they would redefine in Jesus' day who your neighbor was. And if it was a group that they really didn't like, like the Samaritans, they hated the Samaritans. We don't hate anybody today, do we? You know? And so the rabbis had declared. Now, this is meaningful to me, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. The Samaritans aren't really people. They're subhumans. Therefore, they're not your neighbors, and you don't have to worry about them. Do whatever you want. That was, that was the way they did it. Folks, I'm a child of the South, and I heard that same argument in Christian circles about the way they treat the blacks. They would say, well, they're not really human. They're subhuman, you know. And what did Jesus do with this thing about the Samaritans? He told a story, remember, when someone said, who's my neighbor and who was the hero of the story? A Samaritan. We even call him a, the good Samaritan, which was an oxymoron back then, mutually exclusive terms, you know like a skinny Buddha. <laughs> he had no, I, you know, I got to forgive me, but I marvel at the fact that he had conquered all desires. Then how come he was so fat? Everything I see is fat. <laughs> forgive me. I, I get mean sometimes, you know. Uh, I had a Buddhist get, get saved in one of the conferences that I did, and he came up to me. And he said, man, I've got thousands of dollars worth of, of Buddhist statues and, and writings and so forth. Uh, what should I do with them? I said, burn them. Oh, but they're worth a lot of money. I can sell them. Well, why wreck someone else's life? Burn the thing. <laughs> he did that. And I was, I was delighted to hear that. So God doesn't let us get away with changing our definitions for people we don't like. But that brings up something else. Have you ever, you don't need to raise your hands here, but have you ever heard the question or asked the question, can you love somebody and not like them? Now, the world has sold us on the f belief that love really is synonymous with like. You would not say, I love ice cream if you didn't like ice cream, would you? And so they've sold us on the fact that you've got to have this this physical taste or desire or, or gushy warm feeling. You know, I, as a, a campus pastor at a, at a university, I would do a lot of weddings for those students, and I loved it. And in most, if not all, of the weddings, as part of my thing that I got to say, I would say to them, you are getting married today because you have fallen in warmth. 
with one another. It's my prayer that you will truly learn to love each other. Well, Jesus elevates this second command to the same level as the first. It's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. And we got two problems here, except I want to solve one of them right at this next verse that Jesus says, because this is, this is to me like the atom. Then Jesus says, on these two commandments, love God with everything you got, your neighbor is yourself, on these two commandments hang all, how much is all? The law and the prophets. Now, we call this the Bible. The Bible doesn't call itself the Bible. It's a name we gave it. It simply means library. In Jesus' day, the Bible, as we would call it, would be the law and the prophets. And that's what Jesus is saying. This is what the Bible is all about. But we got two problems. Love God? How do you love God? <laughs> Can't see him. Boy, when you read some things, and, and, and you've had this occasion, or you've heard of it, when someone said, you know, if you're trying to witness, oh, I don't, how can I believe in a God who, t who commands whole cities to be destroyed, even the babies in that city? How can that be a loving God? No. <laughs> now, the person that says that obviously hadn't loved, hasn't read the Bible and doesn't understand that in certain cases, God was literally removing a cancer from the face of the earth. And I could spend some time on that because of some new discoveries they've made about that. You wouldn't want, for instance, uh, your doctor to say, well, I felt like being kind to part of your cancer, and so I left some of it there. No, you want the whole thing gone, you see. And God was doing the world a good turn by, in certain places, removing literally a cancer from the face of the earth. But how is it that we can love a God who we can't see? Well, the way to love him is to know what he's like. Simple. Simple. I mean, that's why you love me, isn't it? <laughs> no, forgive me. But God defines himself, and when you hear the words of God defining himself, then anchor there and, and always know this about him, and you'll discover him easy to love. And how many times? In fact, every time I come here, we go through this. By now we should know it. In Exodus 34, verse 6, God defines himself, and he says, as he is describing his, the meaning of his name and his glory, he says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in mercy and faithfulness, mercy to thousands, forgiving wickedness, forgiving rebellion, forgiving sin. Now, folks... Is there anything in there to hate? Oh, is there things there to love? Oh, yeah. In fact, God is so good. There is no person, and we make a mistake when we think our spouse should be like this. They're not just simply not made out of that. My spouse, actually, I'm supposed to be like that to her, and that's a problem sometimes. But this is the way God is. And since it's so important, I want you, once again, to repeat it after me so you will know this from your own lips. Ready? Compassionate. Now, that, I know that, that uh, you've got voices. I know it's early in the morning, but I know you have voices. Let's do this again. Compassionate. Compassionate. 
Yeah. Gracious. Gracious. Slow to anger. Slow to anger. Abounding in mercy and faithfulness. Abounding in mercy and faithfulness. Mercy to thousands. Forgiving wickedness. Forgiving rebellion. Forgiving sin. Wow. What's not to love there? When you know this, you can rest in him and know, wow, he does take care of me. I can pray, Heavenly Father, I honor your name. Hallowed be your name. Wow. And I can pray for his will to be done because it'll be heaven on earth. Whoa. It means you can just in his presence and in his love go, ah, and rest in him. So if you know what he's like, you can love him. Now, I know there's one more statement in that list, and that's yet not letting the guilty go unpunished, visiting the sins of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Now, boy, that sure is a thought changer, isn't it? I first read that, and I thought, my children have no chance. But I have good news for you. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 and 7, fine-tune that for us and let us know that this is only for those who hate God. Now, I doubt, you know, everything's possible, but I doubt very seriously that there is anyone here who said, I hate God so much, I think I'll go to church today. So you're probably safe. But if you're a follower of Jesus, all curses are gone. You don't have anything like that hanging over your head. So only the part that I quoted to you at the beginning and you repeated after me applies to you. Pretty good, eh? So now we know how to love God. We know what he's like. Ah, but how do you really love your neighbor? Now, back when I was in college, uh, it was a different century. There was a man uh, who was a professor at Emory University in Atlanta who wrote a book, and it had quite an impact in the U.S. It was a short book, and it was titled Situation Ethics. I read the book. I think I may still have the thing somewhere. And it troubled me. He said, and he took each of the Ten Commandments and built a situation where doing or obeying that commandment would be the wrong thing to do. So his thesis was, don't give me the rules, but let me look at each situation and decide what the loving thing to do is, and that would be the right thing. Now, you know, th th this made some sense, although immediately I'm thinking, you don't just dismiss the Ten Commandments quite that easily. But to do the loving thing, you know, yeah, but something nagged me about the book, and I knew there was a flaw there somewhere, and I found it. It had a name, Gail Irwin. You can't just turn me loose and say, Gail, just do the loving thing. Because I am a flawed human being, and out of myself, I might tend to say, it's love. But it might be lust, you see. So I realized that I don't know how to love. If we really knew how to love, there never would be divorces and things like that. You know that. If we really knew how to love, what problems would still exist in the world? So the simple fact is, I knew I had to have someone who did know how to love 
teach me how. So where do I go? Who was the great lover? God so loved the world. Man, it didn't say God so liked the world. Oh, interesting. Like is an emotion which comes and goes. You know that. Any of you who've been married more than 30 minutes <laughs> know that. <laughs> Emotions come and they go. But love, there's something with a permanence to it that is exalted way above our emotions because love is a permanent kind of thing. That's why we ask people to promise to, until death do we part. Not till, till I don't like you anymore do we part. So how am I going to learn? Well, I take you now to a very famous scripture. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. You know it by heart. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. Now, folks, I'm going to take a position here that this was a, not an additional commandment, not an another commandment, not one that I hope you will take seriously. But I believe that when he said a new commandment I give you, it was not an addition to the old commandment, but it was one that superseded it. It was one that didn't exactly replace the others, but it fulfilled the others to the point that if you get this one, you've got all of them and you don't have to worry about it. He says, a new commandment I give you. Now here, what he is doing is he's finally giving us the whole simplicity of kind of the E equal MC squared of the Bible. We know that, that in, in, uh, when Jesus said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, that there he was simplifying it to these few verses. You can't get it any, any closer than that. But here, because he knew the problem of humanity and the fact that especially with his apostles, the odds were high they would get it wrong. It's still that way, isn't it? I've, I have as a pastor been, you know, talking about the love of God, and I've had people come up to me after. That was a great sermon, Pastor, and I agree fully. I think we ought to bomb China. I didn't say that. You know. But we human beings, we sometimes get ideas out of words that don't really happen or, or what they seem to somehow affirm our thought. And Jesus knew the apostles could have got it wrong because they'd been getting pretty much everything wrong up to this point. Because they spent most of their time arguing over who was the greatest. So Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. That you love one another. Now, it was appropriate that he said it to them because they did not love each other. Then he said, as I have loved you, that you love one another. Now, it's important to notice he's talking past tense. He doesn't say, as I am going to love you, but as I already have loved you. How had he loved them? Well, thank you for asking. At the beginning of that chapter, since it was just before the Passover feast, at the beginning of John 13, 
Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Now hear this, this is very important. Having loved his own who were in the world. Now even that is a past tense thing or it is telling you that this has been going on all along. He's been loving them all along and, and I don't see anywhere in Scripture, maybe it happened, but I don't see it anywhere, where he lined them up and said, okay, well, let's go through this. James, I love you. John, I love you. Peter, I love you. Or at least I tolerate you. Uh, Judas, I'm thinking about it. Um, no. But there was something that he had done that let him know. Well, let me keep going. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now loved them to the end. Now, now, now that word might not be in your version, but it is there when you examine it. Uh, it has a now uh, understanding to it. He now showed them the full extent of his love or loved them to the end or showed them just how much he loved them. Wow. Amazing. He's about to show just how much he loved them. Hmm. This is before the crucifixion. And we know because of that that he loves us. But what happened is he got up from that table and he began to wash their feet. Now this is a problem to us in our day because that's not part of our greeting ritual so we don't understand this, you see. It just, if, if I were to visit you today, knock on your door, I would hope you would say, Gail, good to see you and you'd embrace me and say, come in, let me take your coat so I can see your suspenders. <laughs> Have a seat. <laughs> And let me get you a cup of Christian crack, a coffee. <laughs> a couple of guys in Washington State have started a Christian uh, coffee distribution thing, which almost in some denominations is an oxymoron. <laughs> there, there's a group called United Pentecostal Church that in the Deep South, they used to at least, preach that you couldn't go to heaven if you went to doctors or drank coffee, you know. And I had a dear brother who was a retired oneness, they also call him preacher in my congregation that I had at the mouth of the Mississippi River. And he was the sweetest guy. God had dealt with him. And he said, Brother Gail, I used to preach all the time that you couldn't go to heaven if you drank coffee. And said, one night I had a dream that I went to heaven. Oh, it was beautiful. I can't even describe it. There were angels everywhere. And every one of them had a cup of coffee in his hand. <laughs> so relax, you're safe. But you see, these are, these are our greeting rituals today. We don't call them that. Sociologists call them that. They put names on things. And I think that's the only thing sociologists do is name stuff. But if this were 2,000 years ago, it'd be different. You would kiss me on both cheeks. They still do that in many places. You would seat me, and if I were especially welcomed, you'd anoint my head with oil. Now, we do that when we pray for the sick a lot, and we'll have a little bottle of olive oil, and tick, tick, tick. And that's okay, that's anointing, but that's not the way they did it. They'd take a bottle of olive oil and just empty it on your head, you know. Slick it down. Yuck. 
But this was before the days of shampoos and hair dryers, and that was a very soothing, cleansing, even healing thing. And there's another advantage to that because if I left your house today especially welcomed, who would know? But back then, man, everybody would know when I left. Man, somebody loves that dude. Look at that greasy head, you know. <laughs> but the other thing that would happen that we have no corollary to, really not, we hardly have any corollaries to those. But it was a very significant thing. As part of the greeting ritual, you'd wash my feet. Now, I want to explain to you why that's so, such a big thing. First of all, they wore sandals. The roads were but dust. It didn't take long for walking to be uncomfortable. And hospitality is the art of making people comfortable. It's a very simple thing. You don't have to figure it out. Just there it is. And they would wash your feet. Well, still, what's the big deal? Why hadn't any feet been washed around that last supper table? Because that was the lowest slave job in existence. If a man owned any slaves or servants, it would be the lowest ranked servant who would wash feet. And if he had no servants because he was too poor, it was a public admission of his lowest state. So, Jesus got up from that table and washed their feet. Oh, oh, oh. We still got a problem. What's the big deal still? Here's the big deal. They believed back then, as Arabs still do to this day, that the bottom of the foot is the dirtiest part of the body. Now, that changes it, doesn't it? Oh. Now, I love the fact, for instance, just a quick throwback, that when God first accosted Moses out of that burning bush, remember? Life had been boring to tears for 40 years for that guy. I don't know if you've ever herded sheep for 40 years. You know, what were your conversations like? Yeah. Bye. You come home and your wife says, well, how was work today? Don't ask. But then you come home and say, God talked to me out of a burning bush. Really, what did he say? Well, the first words were, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. I would have thought that God would have said, put on two or three more pair of shoes, buddy. I don't want your dirty, stinky feet touching me. Oh, folks, hear this. Hear this. He was saying, Moses, I want the dirtiest part of you right up against my holiness. I want you to sense my holiness, my love for you, my, my totally other-centeredness for you. I don't want you to feel that there is anything about you that needs to separate you from me. You just need to believe in me and obey, and, 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 and I want you to put the dirty part of you right up against me. Hmm. So that's why nobody's feet had been washed at that table, because uh, the, boss, the apostles weren't going to do it. It would be to them an admission they weren't the greatest. So what did happen? He who was the greatest... He who created the universe. He who put the stars in place and knows their names. That's amazing to me. I think I might know as many as 2,000 names. 
But after that, I can't. But think of how many stars there are, and he knows their names. He put them there. And he who did all of that, without him was not anything made that was made, gets up from that table and washes their feet. And he says, now I'm your example. You should do as I have done. In fact, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. We got a problem because this is how he showed them his love, which means that this is also a way we show our love. (laughs) It was a servant act. That's the first thing you need to do. He didn't do that for his benefit. He did that for the benefit of the others. It was a servant thing. Put that as the, 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 the thing over your door, as the thing that describes what you are. I serve in the name of Jesus. It was a servant act. Now, our corollaries today are, I think, when we understand what foot washing was back then, it was a welcoming act. It was a cleansing act. It was a a, a soothing act and an honoring act. And I think that when we do things today for each other that do that for people, it's an honoring and soothing and cleansing and welcoming act that caused them to sense that they are loved and they are welcomed. I have a little uh, thing I, I sometimes say to people because I know you guys place people at the door to greet people when they come in and I enjoy it because you're so nice. I've noticed you never pick a grouch to put at the door. But you know what? I'd like to see us all be greeters, you know. That, and I've, that's happened to me when I come here. I run a gauntlet of, oh, good to see you. Welcome. We're glad. And I'm confident some of the folks don't know who I am. They just heard others welcoming me. And so they decided to get in on it. And wouldn't it be great if, if, if every one of us were a greeter and a welcomer and just overwhelmed anybody that we don't know, even if they just sat at the other side of the building and we never met them, make them feel like you're so glad they're here in the name of Jesus. So uh, compliments to each other, praying for one another in, in any form of servanthood and care. We're washing people's feet. I, I had a guy uh, just last weekend describe a conference or a men's retreat that he was in at one point where I'd walked him through the nature of Jesus, which is my main message. And you always get some of it, even if you think that's the only message he's got. You're right. But he said, as he introduced me, he said, you know, it was my first time at that church. And he said, my life was changed at that point. And he said, uh, I've, I, I owe my life later to what he had said to me there. And I got up and I realized what I felt inside after he had said that. And I said to him, I said, Dennis, that was his first name. I said, I don't know if you realize it, but you just washed my feet. You know, I feel cleaner. I, I feel honored and welcomed now. And, and there are thank yous that we owe each other. There are, there are our compliments that we owe each other. There are blessings that we owe each other. And we wash each other's feet that way. And that's how Jesus taught us how to love, was to make life better for other people. 
Wow. Now he goes on and says, By this shall all men know you are my disciples. That you have love one to another. Isn't this fascinating? So often the question is, well, let me put it this way. In the course of my life, I have signed a number of church membership cards. Back in my younger days, you know, our family would move, go to, we'd be in a new town, new church, and we'd join a church, and I'd have to sign another membership card. They were all pretty much alike. Now, I'm going to condense it to help you understand how it sounded. It was usually something kind of like this. I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls that do. It always had a list of don'ts and, and no do's, really, just all I don't this, I don't this, I don't this, and I had to agree to that. But when I was uh, writing a, a book called The Jesus Style, which, uh, you know, if you haven't read it, you, you want to go to heaven, so get it. It's out there. It's real cheap. And I came to this chapter, and I was discussing it, and, and the thought occurred to me, because I knew the kind of things I had signed, is there any church or is there any denomination that requires as its membership only that you love each other? I decided to investigate. I could not find a one. They all had certain rules. I was speaking once at a, a college owned by a certain denomination. I won't name it, but uh, you would know it very well. I've even spoken in Bakersfield at one of their churches, a big one. It acted just like Calvary, but they didn't realize it. But the professor in whose home I stayed before I spoke there handed me, before I went to bed, uh, uh, and it wasn't very thick. He said, this is something I've written to explain our theology. I'd like to have your response to it. So the next morning, he said, well, what did you think? I said, I had no argument. You guys have good, basic, sound theology. But I said, you know, the th it's not the theology that I would want to question you about, but what are the other rules that you require of people that are not written in your theology? Our conversation was over. We just simply silently ate breakfast. <laughs> he didn't want to talk about the additional rules because those were the things that identified them were those additional rules and not their theology. And so, actually, when I've made statements like that, since then there have been a few churches that have made changes that we just ask you to love one another. That's your membership. Jesus says, that's your identity. In fact, it's so much your identity. In fact, it's an identity you'd want to have stolen, wouldn't you? <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. It's so much your identity that you don't have to sign a membership card. Others will sign it for you. Wow, you're, you're, you're a follower of Jesus, aren't you? I don't like to use the word Christian anymore because it's got too much baggage with it, you know. But when I say I'm a follower of Jesus, that clears the air right there. I'm a follower of Jesus. And I love for someone to say, wow, you must be a follower of Jesus. Wow. It's our identity. So that's all. I mean, you wrap all of that together and that's it, folks. 
This is the new commandment? Well, now, wait a minute, Erwin. You don't dismiss the law. No, it, it, it isn't dismissed. I want to quote to you some more scripture right quick as I try to bring this to an end. There was a church called, well, it was in Galatia, and so uh, Paul wrote a letter to them, and we call it Galatians, and it was a church that had backslid and gone back into what he called the beggarly elements. In other words, he's saying, spiritually, you're out on a street corner with pencils in a can selling them because you're no longer rich. You are, you're beggars because they'd gone back to the law yet they had received Christ by faith. So, the things that he said in that book, man, stagger me. And in the fifth chapter and the 14th verse, he says, get ready for this, herein is the entire law. How much of the law might that be? The whole thing. Herein is the entire law fulfilled. Love your neighbor as yourself. Voila. The whole law. John does some clarifying. He was good at that. And I marvel at John because he at one point wanted to burn a village down because they couldn't spend a night there. So God really had done an, uh, uh, a real thing for this guy. And now all he wants to do is talk about love. And he says, this is how, this is in 1 John 3, this is how we know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. In fact, if you don't, you're still dead. I'm putting it in my words here. Now, does this simplify it? Now you know. See, the fact of the matter is, if you are serving and blessing other people, you're not sinning. Isn't that great? If you struggle with sin, I just solved it for you. Just love and serve other people, bless them, and you're not sinning. It is so simple. So simple. But I'm going to do something that uh, they never invite me to come and do this, but I'm just going to take my liberties. I'm going to sing to you. Brace yourself. <laughs> Oh, I find it hard to believe. I've, I reveal this to your pastor, but he's been kind to me about this. And when my wife and I first began our ministry together, uh, you know, we were in a denomination. And, and so what we, you know, you advertise yourself and you try to get places to go. And, and so I had a card ad made advertising us as singing evangelists. And we would sing together, you know, she had a, an accordion which I don't think there'll be any accordions or bagpipes in heaven, frankly, but uh, that's another story. But we, that, that singing evangelist thing didn't last very long, and you'll see why in just a moment. But you ready? Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. And he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, 1 John 4, 7 and 8.
Now, if you can sing it, you can remember it. <laughs> and I hope that you see that life is simple, really. God doesn't demand that you look in and examine yourself. He never, he never asks us really to do that. He just tells us to love other people. Because when that happens, you don't have any problems. Don't think if I can go somewhere and stare at my navel for six months, I can get better and be ready for ministry. No, no. He just wants you to love each other. And you do that by serving and making life better for each other. It even happens when just one in a marriage, you know, when two people are, are breaking their neck to make life better for one another, you're, you're, it's heaven on earth. And I think I've told you this story, but then at my age, your memory goes and you repeat all your stories over and over. But cut us some slack. They're good stories. But back when I lived on the farm where I was born, there happened to be one particular man in the neighborhood of Chester. I wasn't born in Chester. I was born about 15 miles away, but a church we went to was in Chester, Oklahoma, and there was uh, a guy in that area, a farmer who was as mean as they come. Ah, boy. He hated God. He hated the church. He hated Christianity. Anything about it never darkened the door in his life. But he had one problem. He had a wife who just loved God with all her heart. And uh, he had let her go to church once a week, but if he saw her car headed toward church any other time, he would jump in his pickup, chase her down, stop her, and search the car to make sure she wasn't taking food or some other gift to the church. Really nice guy. When I was first, you know, out of college and looking for places to preach, uh, there wasn't a big demand for a kid right out of college, so it was just mostly preaching for people who were old family friends, you know, and, oh, yeah, that, he's a homeboy, so let's have him speak at Elm Grove out in Chester, Oklahoma. I'll never forget that week I was there because on Wednesday night, this farmer was there. I couldn't believe it. Nobody could believe it. Never had been in church before. When I gave the invitation, man, he popped out of his seats and ran down to the front and wept his way into the kingdom, man. Hmm. Now I have to confess, I was feeling pretty good. <laughs> and afterward, I asked him while we were fellowshipping, I said, uh, you know, you got to cut me some slack too because I was 21 then. I didn't know what was. I said, what was it I said <laughs> that really got to you? Because, you know, if it was something I said, you can be sure I would use that over and over and over. But boy, he took me back to the level I belonged to. He said, it wasn't anything you said, Erwin. He said, I was just hoping you'd hurry up and quit so I could get saved. <laughs> he said, it's my wife. I can't take this. I put her through hell. She puts me through heaven. The worse I get, the better she gets. I can't take it anymore. I got to have what that woman has, you know. Last time I saw him, he was an elder in that church, you know. And I thought, oh, the power of serving, of loving 
of making life better for others, regardless of how you might feel at the moment. Hmm. If perchance you don't know the Lord, if perchance you have come, you know, and for whatever reason you're here, we, we so love it and you're so welcome, we can't even express it properly. But you have held yourself away from the things of God and church because all you've heard are the don'ts. And I apologize for the don'ts that you have heard out there about the kingdom of God because it's not those things that are, that are what we live on, really. It's just how we have, have mauled the gospel, how we have misused it because the coming of Jesus was not uh, the great donter is here, but it's the great receiver is here. He said, come. He loved that word. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Please hear that this morning. That's the real truth about him. And if you've held yourself back because you thought, I can't live that life, then you have uh, hurt yourself. And we don't want you to do that anymore. The life is very simple. It's not a, a, a reading of what you don't do or what you're a party you're part of or anything like that. Our identity is that we love each other. And we want to love you and let you be a part of this. So please don't leave here without making the choice. And it is that. And, and I know that in this place you're never pressured because we believe that that ability to choose is the image of God in you. And we just want you to use it for him. And so today make that choice. Will you don't leave here without doing that. And if today you make that choice don't leave here without telling us that you did now you need to know we don't collect money from you we don't do anything that's a demand we just want to bless you and you have nothing to be afraid of only the joys of serving a God who loves you more than you can even understand please don't leave here without making that choice and without telling somebody, because that's important. You're a brand new baby, and we don't like to abandon babies. We like to even, well, we'll even change diapers. We'll let somebody else do it, though, but we'll do it. Uh, forgive me. I can, everything gets funny before it's over to me. Father, I'm so grateful for your goodness to us. I'm glad, oh, how glad can we be that you loved us and you proved it. And now we are beneficiaries of your love, and we love that. And once again, we pledge ourselves to you. We want to serve you, and we want to serve your people. Because that's what you did. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Gail Irwin. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Gail's teaching ministry by visiting servant.org.